Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Reinsurance Podcast. I am your co-host, Jared Lee. Injured co-host, as we call <laughs> And the other co-host, Ben Rose. And we're joined by a special guest. Jessica McCausland from Superseed. Welcome. Hi, guys. What's the crack? <laughs> <laughs> so today we brought Jess on today. We wanted to dive into something that's kind of a niche category in um, technology in our space. But how do we talk about client success and, more importantly, how do we lean into this narrative of companies who not just buy software, but sort of get the most out of it? How do they extract the most value? How do they ensure what they buy actually delivers value to their team? And there's no one in the world better at this job than our very own Jessica McCausland. So welcome to the podcast. Thanks, guys. Oh, my God. It's so great to like be here, be in the hot seat. And <laughs> yeah, just, just see where the magic happens yeah. with the reinsurance podcast. <laughs> how, how do you like the studio? We've, we've decorated it and tidied it specially for you. Like, I love it. Like, love the plants, love the purple. Like, definitely my kind of vibe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Fabulous. Cool. We thought it's probably best to start today's episode. Just, I think the term is disambiguation, but it could not be. So don't quote me on that. But to unpack and describe what does client success actually mean? You know, and it's great. Like, and I, I can't believe it's taken me sort of this long or taken us this long to, to come on to this topic. Mm. Um, well, one of the reasons being that, well, client success um i'm sure there's a lot of people now who are listening being like well okay cool like what is client success um and really we, as, as people we kind of you know we try to associate that with things we already know mm. um so for example um you say what is client success the immediate go-to especially if you're in like financial services and insurance reinsurance you think typically of account management mm -hmm. or you know the service desk or client support um, and really actually it's not any of those things mm. in fact so really um, we're here to kind of dispel the myths of well, what it isn't um, so as I'm saying like it's it's not account management mm. it's not relationship management it's not that the, those lovely support desk people <laughs> um, it's really like so much more yeah. so hang on so you just said many many things that client success is not so should we pause and unpack what those things are first just so everyone's keeping up to speed because as we may discuss on today's episode, quite a few of, uh, well, most clients perhaps in the industry won't have had a client success person before because most clients or insurance companies, et cetera, won't have bought technology from somewhere else before because so many of these firms do it in-house themselves the first few times that they build something. So you, you mentioned uh, client support, uh, account management. What do they sort of deal with that isn't client success? Well, their functions like so typically, um, so when you go and, and buy software, you know, so you buy software or buy a SaaS um, software as a solution, what usually happens is you, you buy the thing and traditionally you were given an account manager, mm -hmm. you know, and that account management role would be a sort of reactive mm -hmm. role, the same with a support function. So it's not until the client needs something, so they sure. need help with the, the technology, like they need help with training or they need help with something's gone wrong mm. um, or they need, you know, from the account management perspective, it's like, oh, I need more users or oh, it's time for your renewal. Yeah. I'm getting in touch with you, but very much a reactive function. Um, so client success um, kind of comes back to sort of in the early noughties is actually um, with sort of the bigger um, software providers. They were noticing that, you know, clients were buying their software and spending a lot of money on this software and not really getting value mm. from it. Um, they were then turning into what's called a, a churn risk. Mm, yep. 
um, we've used that terminology before, essentially it just means they weren't going to renew. And the yeah. software companies mm -hmm. were like, uh oh, like that is that is revenue, that's money in the door. How do we a keep that money, but also we want to grow that client as well. Like how do yeah. we actually grow the the client and the partner? Um, and that's really where um, some of these companies came up with some teams called dive and catch mm. it's quite fun right like <laughs> dive and catch I hadn't heard that give, before. give them a group hug a yeah. big hug be like no stay don't yeah. don't don't let me go <laughs> don't yeah. let them go mm. um, and that's really where client success was born so it's all about um the ability to be the client's strategic partner mm -hmm. yeah so the people that typically work in client success and um, have this sort of strategic project management mindset um, and it's all about being proactive. So earlier when we were talking about like account management, the service, it's all about a reactive function. Client success is being proactive. So it's thinking like three, five, ten steps ahead mm -hmm. with the client on how best they're going to get value. Yeah. Because really, you're investing in something. You, you buy this technology, you're investing a lot of money, first and foremost, but then a lot of time and effort um, into something. And then the client success manager um, that'll come along with you on that journey is how do you get the most out of that investment? Yeah. All right. And we think about investments as well as, as people. Mm -hmm. uh, some people you invest in something you're like, yeah, I'll put it under the pillow there. Um, <laughs> you know, not think about it. Or actually you can be strategic about mm -hmm. it. Be like, no, I'm not going to just put my money under a pillow. Think about it in 10 years from a perspective of someone buying software. It's like, how do you get the best out of this? And that's what the client success manager is there for. Yeah. You've bought something expensive. You've bought something for a reason. Mm. That's the, that's really the, the issue. Like taking yeah. the money aside is actually you bought this for a reason, a tangible reason yeah. enough to make this big decision. The client success manager is there to help you make the most of that. And that's really fun. Well, I think you're seeing as well this evolution of that role alongside the evolution of how technology is sold. You mentioned SaaS being one, but if we go sort of how software is sold pre-SaaS, it didn't require this function really to exist because it was like, here's your multi-million pounds up front. We're going to put the software on-prem for you. Your own IT team is going to sort of maintain it. And we might have a call center that helps you work on bug fixes or you might pay us each year to um, add new features. There's little elements of that. But when you look at how SaaS is sold, part of the value proposition there is if you do not like this solution you've purchased, you can just not renew. You can churn, as you said. And so it changes the importance of where this function sits to be one that goes, well, if we want to have happy clients, we want those clients to continue to grow with us, how do we not only just give them like a call number that they can call at any time, but how do we make sure that they're extracting the most value from what they've purchased and they continue to sort of use it more and more and get more and more value out of it. So it's it's almost a, a component that exists because of SaaS, but because of our industry having a less familiarity with this as a category, I think this is why this sort of function doesn't exist in a lot of places because the historical model is like, well, we just give them a call center and they call that number if they get confused. And that's not really the point anymore, is it? Yeah, I, I really loved your analogy actually of uh, an investment. It made me think of, of something, which is going to introduce another member of my family to the podcast. Hooray. <laughs> I, but you're not buying an investment as, as like a stock in this case, right? It's not something you just want to put to one side and hope that it becomes more valuable. You're buying something with a purpose. Like There's a reason you went out to get it. And uh, my dad is notorious for doing this. I so sorry, dad. <laughs> I, <laughs> you're getting called out here, but I he'll buy like a very 
fancy bike with electric gears and all this sort of thing with the intention to go and actually ride that bike and take it out regularly. Um, but I think he really needs a client success person post-purchase <laughs> to make sure that he actually takes that bike and, mm -hmm. and goes on bike rides because he doesn't schedule it or otherwise. So, mm -hmm. Dad, you've made it on the podcast. Enjoy. <laughs> I, but, but it's exactly this kind of thing. I am so guilty when I uh, go out and, you know, trial some software or buy some software of putting it to one side because it's not my normal BAU mm -hmm. uh, activity to use it. And you need somebody who's actually going to sit down with you and say, right, why have you bought this? What, what are you hoping is going to be achieved or be different next year because you've bought this and how can I help you get there? You know, where, where are we going to work together to make sure you actually get the outcomes that you wanted from, you know, buying this fancy bike that cost you a fortune, yeah. you know, so that you don't go, ah, oh, there it is gathering dust in the garage. Maybe I should put it on eBay and sell it yeah. at the end. I think, I think this function also is super important. And again, we have a lot of listeners who also are other startups and technology founders and things. But in our industry, it's also super important because as part of this role as well, you get like a firsthand experience or information around um, how clients are using it and what other problems they're trying to solve with it. Because one of the default actions people have when they buy software is they bought it for this thing and they have this other problem that doesn't really work in your platform, but they're just trying to use your platform to solve for it anyway. And it's the sort of like forcing the square peg into the round hole kind of scenario. But when you're working with clients much more closely, you're able to sort of listen to those stories and understand how they're also deploying the product and what other things they're trying to do with it. And it becomes an, um, an immensely valuable source of insight into how we develop the product. Unlike the bike, the software can change every sort of few weeks and add new things. So it's a, it's a, in, unbelievably valuable insight tool and channel into what we should build next and what our, what our clients also want to be able to do alongside the stuff that they're doing at the point of purchase, which is probably something interesting as well. Mm. Yeah. How does the journey typically start then? Because you, you get, a, you know, presumably the sales folks are like, you've got a, a, a potential client coming on, heading your way. You know, wh what's the first conversation with somebody who's like either buying or thinking about buying Superseed, for example? Yeah, uh, well, the conversation typically goes, uh, well, the first thing is I'll say, hi, I'm, you know, I'm Jess. Um, I'm going to be your, your client success manager. Um, fun story to a real example of that happening. Um, so I, I introduce myself and, and, and the, the client, the prospect goes, it's like, Jess, I don't know what a client success manager does but I like the idea of someone managing my success. <laughs> now, I probably they probably don't sound like that at all. It's a very bad impression. Mm. Um, but actually, to, to your point about like what you said about your, your dad, Ben, it's exactly right. It's like this person, I have no idea what you're going to do or what you're going to talk to me about, but actually, I like the idea of someone managing mm -hmm. this process for me. Um, and that's exactly it. Uh, client success are the gatekeepers, I would mm. say, of the client life cycle. So the client life cycle, you know, you've got the pre-sale, post-sale stages for to make it mm -hmm. very simple there. That pre-sale stage, you're right, that's business development and that's sales. And then you've got the, the post-sale stage, which is traditionally mm -hmm. actually where client success come in um, to that process. Um, so a lot of people listening, that'll make sense. So pre-sale, it's all about the sales side, post um post-sale it'll be account management client success etc mm -hmm. i think um so using sort of what i'm doing though sp specifically in what um uh, we're doing i suppose 
um, is client success are actually getting involved in the pre-sale stage. Mm, okay. Um, yeah. And it just, it really depends on the type of, again, the SaaS product that you have. So again, there's no right or wrong way to do this, but you need to do what makes sense for the clients mm. and the people that you're dealing with. Yeah. And I'm dealing with reinsurance people <laughs> and I'm sure we've covered it many a time on the podcast as well when you're dealing with with reinsurance insurance people what's one of the core things about this your relationships mm -hmm. solidifying those relationships making long-term partnerships relationships that are going to last because this is really going to be a marathon we're not sprinting mm. with a piece of software and saying bye-bye um you know we are going to be in this in the long haul together so Coming back to what we were talking about, really on that pre-sale side, it's the, the clients coming, what you said, Jared, like they've got this problem, they need to solve for it. Okay, here we have some technology that we believe is going to solve for your problem. And again, depending on what it is they're trying to do, um, we might start mm. a trial process. Yeah. Um, with some of this stuff, just try before you buy. You know, proofs in the pudding, um, all that jazz just really about like, okay, what is it you're trying to solve for? Let's really condense that that problem down into what we call success criteria, your success mm -hmm. plan. If by the end of however many weeks, um, let's say, or whatever time period makes sense based on the, the issues, it's a case of if we get to the end, what would success look like? Let's work backwards with the technology mm -hmm. and, and everything else. So you're even, you're even managing that. their success before they even become a customer, I guess. You're, you're helping them set their objectives to see if it will be a successful trial, let alone a successful ultimate end case, I guess. Absolutely, because with anything, and you know, coming back to your dad buying the bike, it's like, well, even then before he bought mm. the bike, I'm sure he may be like, you know, got it, rang the bell, or have a <laughs> sit down, I'll try it in, don't yeah, crash it into any other bikes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, it's it's that yeah. same kind of process. For some people, it, it's going to work. And if you're kind of then navigating that journey together um, to what you said, Jared, sometimes people don't actually realize halfway through what it is they were really trying to solve for. Mm. So sometimes we're going through the process together and then objectives change. Yeah. The goal changes, success changes, and it grows. Mm. Um, and that's how, by, by sharing these, you know, by mm. working together and having the conversations about what it is you want to do and being strategic about it, that's how we really mm. shape that journey. What, what, sort of, what, what sort of objectives or critical success factors, or however you tend to frame them, have come up in the past, like when you've worked with clients? Where, where are they typically trying to get from and to as part of their purchase of SuperSeed? And what, what, what sort of things become, I guess, your raison d'etre with that client? Yeah, so going into it from a sort of SuperSeed perspective, um, definitely if we're talking about, um, you know, our seeded re-clients, mm. you know, in particular then the, the clients who are looking at their submission and their submission mm. process, mm. you know, the, the um, sorry, the reinsurance submission process, you know, the pack preparation process, everything um, to do there. Um, traditionally, that process is something that can take up to six months. Well, yeah. um, I think we've probably I'm talked about I'm acting surprised, I know this, obviously. <laughs> 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 like, wow. You know, something, so clients are really looking at that and going, okay, okay, we've done this, we do this consistently year in, year out, especially we're coming up to 1-1. They've started preparation back in June. Mm. They're still mm. in the midst now. We're in October. They're mm. still in the midst of that process mm. now. 
um, you're doing data cuts six months in advance because it's taking you that long mm. to analyze, collate and validate your data. And, you know, people are turning around now and going, we can't be spending that much time mm. doing these sort of janitorial tasks that actually, you know, technology can definitely do a lot of the heavy lifting for. Yeah. So it's a really about um, one of the things being being speed. Um, not the only thing, but definitely like how do we speed up the process around, you know, being able to collate our data together. Um, the next one being around sort of errors and, you know, anomaly detection, mm. let's mm. say. Yeah. So, for example, using SuperSeed, it's like you're, you're putting data into a very complex, you know, computer system, computer mm -hmm. platform, you know, and it's running these complex calculations in the background instantaneously. Therefore, it's analyzing your data set to know, you know, if there are errors, you know, in that underlying data, then flagging them to the user straight away. Yeah. You know, and this is something that could take someone, you know, days or weeks to even just do on a manual process. Yeah. Um, whereas with the platform, then it's doing it in seconds, mm. you know, and being able to then take that, those anomalies. And again, no one's saying, I think we've talked about it. There's no such thing as a perfect data set. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you can definitely have a data set that is good enough. You can go in and be like, I am confident that this data is the best data set I can get it to mm. at this point in time. And do, you, then do you try and come up with metrics for that sort of thing? So it's like, we want to go from six months before to X time frame afterwards, or this quality of data before to this... Uh, do you end up with measures like that in your conversation? Yeah, absolutely. Mm. I think it comes down to, um, you know, with with client success as well, like, you know, ROI. So, mm. you know, return yeah, on yeah. investment, realization, like that's that's a real thing. Um, yeah. We have to be sh demonstrating that to the client, um, to them, our client, our partner, I should say, mm. um, you know, for, you know, the continued, you know, evidence of it all. It's mm. the, if it you can't measure it, does it exist? Yeah. You know, I rhetorical think, question. Yeah. Um, and I think then on the sort of using that example, it's like, yes, it's absolutely. It's like, what is the current process with the client in terms of like, what is it in, for talking about time or errors or whatever the thing is? Mm -hmm. Let's try and get some quantifiable metrics where so we can then reflect. So with a lot of clients, we'll sit down, post one one and we'll reflect on those metrics and see how we, you know, yeah. measured up against them. And I think that's super important when you set those objectives or success criteria up front is you have something you're looking for. Because I think it's people can fall into the trap very easily of going, oh, we just want it to be better. And at the end, you're like, it, was it better? It's like a little bit better. But like if you've not pointed towards a specific thing saying we're trying to achieve these targets, we want our dates to look like this, our time to look like that, the number of errors we've found, or we want to be able to interrogate the data with this amount of additional insights, whatever you might have you can then turn around and go, we have done all of these things. And you're able to sort of begin to quantify that ROI alongside your partner and saying, this is what you want to achieve. This is what we have done. This is, you know, you're building that case to collectively rather than going, yeah. Like, you know, in a, a completely sliding scale with no numerical attachments to either end, you know, you're saying better or worse. But setting those things out up front, one helps you identify the client's like, what they care the most about, right? And I think when we look at our clients and um, clients across any sort of software purchase, we'll have different primary and secondary and tertiary objectives for what they buy. So if, if you don't have that conversation that conversation up front around what matters the most to them, you know, you're sort of just 
as you're trying to deliver success to them, they're kind of also shooting in the dark. So I think that upfront conversation is immensely um, valuable and super important to kick the process off. Yeah, you've got to align those North Stars. Right? Yeah. Get to the point where you understand as client success what they want to achieve. And I, I guess to your point earlier, they don't always know very you know, in crystal terms what it is they're trying to achieve, but probably that's part of your your challenge as well as to actually sort of squeeze it out of them and say, okay, you've come to us with a reason, what is it? And probably after some weeks of workshops and things, you figure out you don't want to do stacking manually anymore <laughs> or you you want to eliminate all rekeying from this process when you're doing your, your deals tracking or mm-hmm. you've got a company-wide mandate to reduce the number of spreadsheets in the organization by a half. <laughs> I, I don't know what it would be, but mm-hmm. I, I presumably that's quite a an anchor point and it, does it change year over year i guess you know, if you get to the end of the first year we and you say well we've achieved it brilliant or we've achieved most of it yeah what do you want to do next year because we're at least in our case building new software and new features all the time does that come together as part of it yeah like it's definitely it's as we said it's it's a marathon not a sprint and mm-hmm. it really is a journey we're going on so we're using the term client but i'm using that just so people can relate to that but really like I talk to everyone on on a partnership level you know we're creating partnerships and really like you know it's almost like I am working for the -hmm. partner it's almost like I am one of their employees almost Mm -hmm. it's you know it's helping shape them shaping the strategy within their own function itself so if we're Mm -hmm. talking about the seeded read teams it's working with them on their long-term strategy Mm -hmm. for that seeded read function and you know we've got clients at various levels of or you know on various stages of their journey some who've been with us a long time some Mm. who've only just joined us recently so yeah we're going to be at different stages some people like their appetite to do things or their appetite to change either their team or they're actually just their company culture Mm. in general just means you know okay we have to go slow and steady that's absolutely fine but let's just look at that as you set those milestones set those success objectives create wow moments as well wow moments for the people who are you know signing this off from a revenue perspective um but also the people on the ground like the people who are using this day to day and giving them those wows like you know and that's really you know a case of getting that buy-in as well to for people to be more comfortable with me to sit down and tell me their their not their deepest thoughts and desires about (laughs) tech like you know but um but really just um yeah help uh, you know be there and help them shape the the vision they want and we give the technology to enable that vision so so that's interesting because it's it's more than just it's not like onboarding success it's not like client success means you now know how to use the software it sounds like there's also relationships we have with clients and partners that's over the next several years, what are we trying to achieve? It's not just this onboarding. It's not just this upcoming renewal season, but it, it goes deeper than that. It is a, there's a long-term conversation happening. Yeah, absolutely. And it's where where do we want to be in 12 months? Where do we want to be in 24 months? Where we really are talking in years mm-hmm. um, when we're you know setting out these, these strategies. Um, because again, we're dealing with like global insurance companies, like global broking companies, like these companies have long term visions for where they want to get to. They have digital ambitions mm-hmm. of where they want to mm-hmm. get to. So how do I, you know, from a client success perspective, come in and how do I marry those visions together? And it's really then getting ingrained <laughs> yeah. within the companies as well. It's like, right, who's driving your digital strategy? Let's talk to them. 
Yeah. Like how do we embed what this seeded reed team are trying to do, say, in, in isolation to start off with? Um, and how does that then tie in nicely with your your global because yeah. it will be a global, you know, digital strategy. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and me and Ben have seen that um, in sort of the software space as, as consultants as well. But a lot of times companies will have like, here's what we want to look like in five years. But they have no clarity of like the component steps that will mm -hmm. that will transpire over that journey. And I think it's a really important and really valuable part of what you do is is to say, if that's where we want to be in three years, what does it look like? six months before that and six months before that and you sort of work your way back and and it allows you to have very pointed conversations with that team around well if we're going to get to this shared sort of north star which we've agreed on we need to be doing this this next you know renewal season or this this summer or whatever it is and and there's that shared buy-in and i think you know to that to that client's um comment i think people really appreciate that right? it's not they, they know that you're invested in them getting the most out of it not just well that's what we thought you'd want to do like but you sort of lead them to their own devices it's sort of coaching them and staying on project managing them as you said earlier as well like staying on top of what they're trying to achieve and ensuring that they get to that sort of end state um in the time that they discussed and agreed you know client success is is the life force within the company so everyone mm -hmm. in the company does client success mm -hmm. i think that's a key thing mm -hmm. as well to to point out about about client success it's it's everyone's job yeah. um with within a company um to to put the client first it's not just say be client centric it's you know that you are mm -hmm. um it's just ingrained in you um as your role i think um we talk about how we how we work with the clients and you know features that's always big one everyone loves features mm -hmm. um something we do um i think we do this really well is we do um qbrs Yes, which which I've heard you've adopted your own version of QBRs. I have as well, which is exciting. I don't think I can take full credit for it, because um, the great thing is there's there's so many wonderful people uh, who do client success. Mm -hmm. I think the fun thing about it as well is it's not a it's not a, a it's not insurance or healthcare. Client success works cross mm -hmm. across all things that mm -hmm. exist in the world. Um, so I definitely I I'd listen to to a lady who was all about, it's all about the quality of the interactions mm. you have, not the quantity. Yeah. And I loved it. Like, I literally heard that. I'm like, I am adopting that. So I can't take mm. full credit, mm. um, but I've definitely then shaped it into what, what quality looks like from a, a reinsure tech mm -hmm. um, perspective. So quality business reviews rather than quarterly business reviews. Yeah. Um, so again, I was just like, oh, do I need to spell that out? You know, with the cues <laughs> being like, it's not quarterly, it's whenever you want them. Yeah. And that's it. It's letting the, cl the client then decide on their, their cadence yeah. with us. Like, how often do you want to meet? Where do you want to meet? How do you want that interaction to be like in person on Zoom? Yeah. Um, and down the pub, like yeah. <laughs> where, wherever you feel most comfortable. Yeah. And then really it's a case of spacing them out between mm. the, the super suit squad of mm -hmm. people that we have, like, you mm. know, these expertise people that we have. It's like we have an amazing product function as well. So client success, one mm. of the th key things is, yes, we can listen, understand and translate um, what needs to make sense from the client from a sort of product perspective. Yeah. But we do one better, actually. We, we bring the product function to the table with the client in those quality review meetings. Mm. It's your roadmap. It is always the client's roadmap, no matter what. 
So it's bringing those people wherever they are in the world, as you say, Ben, those global teams, and then being like, okay, what is it? Like, what is it you're trying to solve for? You might get people saying, we'd, we'd love a button here. Mm. And you're like, interesting. Okay, <laughs> but why do you want the button there? <laughs> right? And then, you know, I think we go into a lovely five whys, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you realize then it's not the button that they wanted. It's more like They're trying a to solve wider. a pain point or something. Yeah, that's been missed. Yeah, exactly. Like there's usually a bigger reason as to why they want this button. And then it's really a case of, you know, our lovely product team, like really just dissecting that and understanding that um, and building what matters to them, not just a button, but building the way of how this thing is actually going to help their lives. Yeah, because it might be something hilarious where it's like we need the button so that uh, when we send our things off to the outs- uh, offshore team over here and they spend eight weeks doing manual work to turn it into this other mm. thing, that it then goes into the system. Okay, so that's why we want the button. It's like, or we could automate all of that eight weeks for you instead. Would you prefer that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do you just want the button? <laughs> well, it's, it's the thing that's sort of jumping out to me is there's this this thread of intentionality across all of this, right? From setting goals to not just saying, oh, we're going to meet every quarter and just cover whatever we cover it's like even those those meetings and those updates have a purpose and it's all very much designed with this this deep intentionality of what our client wants to achieve and, and making sure that there's this partnership angle to them getting the most out so that i think that's something that really jumps out and differs quite a lot from um what could be considered very lazy it's like oh we've got the call center and we just make sure that someone will always answer your call within five minutes or like there's no there's there's no intentionality for it. There's no there's no driving force of what you're trying to deliver to a client. It's just a a metric you set on some sort of you know um, criteria for uh, delivery versus when you set it out with the objective being success. That's all very intentional from the st- from the point in which you engage. Which again is we talked about is before they even our clients talking about what that will look like and how we help guide and manage your success there. So I think it's it's a really important piece. And um, for other startups that we know in the space, like again, it's one you're seeing more of them adopt because the importance of this function um, for the success of the business as well. And I have massive pins and needles in my legs. So video watchers, <laughs> please just ignore me wriggling about whilst we continue this conversation. Yeah. But uh, I, I did want to ask you, Jess, I, when you think about the various clients you've worked with on these journeys. Are there any sort of, you don't have to name the clients, but any standout success stories? It wouldn't be client success if we didn't have success stories, I guess. Mm. Like what, what are you really happy about or, or things that you've been able to achieve, journeys you've been on with clients that maybe going right back to the beginning, I've never bought technology before, I've never had a, a client success person before. Uh, any highlights that stand out? Well, we're definitely going to get a few highlights. I think we definitely going to go more as we have more and more clients we're going to get more into those success stories in detail Mm -hmm. so I think touching on it on a high level today um, we definitely um, with one of the clients in particular if we talk about sort of that error and anomaly detection I think definitely they spotted with their their underlying data and we don't want to use the word bad but they definitely recognize like their underlying data this data could be better and it just takes us such a long time just get it into a state that we're happy with mm. now with the the error like you know the error the the, the cleansing mm. 
validation that happens as a first off with the platform, translating that into the anomalies. Um, this particular client then was able to just take all of them because you can, oof, they come up straight away on the platform. You can then, you know, send them across digitally um, to that person because you can share everything mm -hmm. digitally um, internally with, with your colleagues. And we're able to then give that information to the sort of the data teams behind the scenes to be mm. able to make changes to the core data um, in their you know policy admin mm. system. Yeah. Um, so that means then when they rerun the data, it'll be you know error free. Yeah. Yeah. Um, as a word, and that's really fantastic as as a success story. Um, that's a really important cool. thing uh, component that we talk about in the industry. This sort of garbage in garbage out data challenge and one of the most difficult parts that clients have always faced is trying to like clean it into the source system but it's it's interesting because it's it's it what it's not sort of that that scenario you outlined isn't like in our bullet of like things you do on supersede kind of selling points as such yeah. but what you found is a way for that client to then use one of the things that exists in the platform that then helps fundamentally improve the underlying data that they have in their core systems. Yeah. So like their source of truth is now more accurate because of how they're using some of our software. And like that's that's a really like helpful way to think about the role that you and the team play is not just what we do on the tin, but like what are you also what other challenges does your organization face that we're able to help support you in in achieving. So that's a super really as a super interesting one from that perspective. Yeah. What's your second favorite one? <laughs> um to be honest i i do have loads but um i think the next one being around stacking mm. i think we've explained stacking before it's where you've got policies that i think ben do you want to give a quick <laughs> does, does, do you want you guys want to like summarize what stacking is it's a hilarious running joke isn't it that nobody wants to be the one who has to <laughs> explain this quite complex uh situation which i think runs to the heart of um, why we ended up building software for it because there's not really this easy hard and fast rule for the way it works a lot of the time but effectively you're trying to spot policies that belong in a group where you don't want to accidentally double count or not double count something yeah. as a result of them belonging to the same family there's a few different ways that it can arrive that we then go into but I, what we've typically found is that when you've got like a massive long border of thousands of policies and the same group of policies occurring in a group people who are trying to cal calculate their total limit or you know various other elements are accidentally counting parts of the same group multiple mm -hmm. times when they shouldn't uh, or vice versa and that's basically stacking in a nutshell yeah. to try and fix yeah exactly and and that process that is definitely one of the you know when we come to the sheet of things mm -hmm. you know on the sort of sales list of things that, that we say we do well. Um, and that's it because we've identified that that is a core problem issue for everyone. It's something that is really complicated, really difficult to do, um, even more difficult to do just on Excel mm -hmm. um, and to do manually as well. So you have some people where it could take three weeks mm. um, on average for a single treaty to just go through and manually, we say manually using your your eyes and, and Excel mm. um, to go through that process. Whereas on Supersede, um, we have had a client where they said to us, it took a week and a half. Um, so this is a, a recent um, example because we're currently in 1-1 prep season. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, they said last year, uh, it took them a week and a half for this particular treaty. Using Supersede, they got it done in four hours. Nice. Um, 
That's yeah. like, it's always good <laughs> when, the when the metric changes, right? Yeah, yeah. It's not like instead of the quantum a thing. week and a half, it's yeah. like half a week is like no no we're now measuring in hours and stuff. <laughs> yeah and i think even the reason it was it was four hours and not even less it was just because i think they were trying to it's so like has it worked mm. is it right am i am i sure yeah. it's that you know you're doubting yourself you're like no it can't be that quick no it yeah. can't have actually mm. detected all those facts yeah. no it can't have actually allowed me to to do this thing that took me so long last yeah. year yeah. um and i think that's it it's just seeing those those wows when they mm. come back to to people. Yeah, yeah. it's funny. Universally, I, I think we always find more than we expect to find as well, right? Like, uh, we, we think we're going to do a reconciliation between what they had last year and what Superseed finds, but Superseed always finds more than the manual methods find. Yeah, it always finds more, and that's always a, that's an interesting conversation. Yeah. And that usually comes as, as we're usually three quarters way through the trial, and we're reconcil reconciling mm. uh, the data. And yeah, we're we're picking up things that, you know, like this is why tech, you know, having a tech solution is handy. It's it's just doing those complex things yeah. in in seconds as opposed to. We love Excel in some cases, but not for doing these <laughs> complex tasks. It's got some function, but yeah, increasingly yeah. less in our space now. Um, yeah. But that I think it's an excellent spot to end on, um, Jess. Oh. oh no, I have one no. last thing that we must do before we end. We have Jess. We <coughs> presumed due to your fame and recognition in the client success space within reinsurance, yeah. uh, that everybody knows, knows everything about you and how you got into client success at Superseed. So normally we should have done that at the beginning. But we we should have, have done that <laughs> at the <laughs> beginning. Do you want to tell us a bit about how you're secretly an industry person who's now a software industry, industry software person? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> um, so, oh God. Where did you start? Because you started in insurance. I seem to remember it all. I did start in insurance. I started over 12 years ago. I was a broker ah, in yeah. Australia. That's where I found the lovely world of insurance. Yeah, yeah. Um, I am not Australian. I think we all <laughs> sort of realise now uh, yeah, that, that, that I am from that, Ireland. That doesn't track. <laughs> Australian accent all this time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was out there just for a couple of months uh, for college, uni. Mm. Um, depending on uh, where you're from, um, refer to it as college or, or mm. university. Um, yeah, and really liked it out there. Found, met someone who was a broker, mm. told me how amazing it was. So yeah, I did a stint of, of broking and underwriting um, yeah. while I lived out there. Found out about this magical place called Lloyd's of London. Mm -hmm. And the fact that like my, when I was placing business over there overseas, they had to, the broker had to walk in to Lloyd's. Yeah. What is he doing? What mm. they have to walk in? Yeah. Um, I loved this story. So then applied for a graduate programs over nice. here in the UK. So then started on the journey. I think same time we all came. We all yeah. came to London at the same time. Yeah. Um, so then became an insurance underwriter. Did lots of things in between because you're on the grad scheme. You do claims, you do finance crossed many lines of business over the years, even did a stint in sort of portfolio solutions and delegated business. Um, so that was really fantastic, but always had an ear on mm. the tech side of things. So getting into the, the tech world sort of four and a half years ago. Yeah. Um, yeah. I well. haven't looked back since. I think when, you know, I was talking with Tom um, about Superseed and about client success, I was doing account management at the time and the, and the first thing I said to Tom was, it's 
bit of a wanky title, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> kind of to this point of actually, I didn't myself understand mm. the true power of yeah. client success. So jumped on trusty Google, mm. had a Google and I was absolutely hooked. And I was like, yes, I want to help clients win. Yeah. I want help to help clients be successful and haven't looked back. Yeah. Uh, what's, what's a pirate's favorite client success metric? Oh, I've got, I think, I think I don't, I've got it. I don't yeah, know. Yeah. Okay, I don't know. Go on. ARR. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. All right. Wonderful. Well, thank you, Jess, for joining us on the podcast. And everyone, we will see you next time. Thanks, everyone.